Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome to Healthy Children. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're talking about dating and talking to your teens about sex. If you're a parent, you know this is a conversation that you're never sure what age you're supposed to start talking about these things. You're never quite sure how to begin that conversation. And you're also never quite sure really what your kids already know because it seems that kids today are so much more worldly and knowledgeable than we were. Joining me is Dr. Gary Kirkless. He's a pediatrician in Phoenix, Arizona with a very unique practice. He's also certainly a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Doctor, it's such a pleasure to have you join us today. Before we get into this topic, tell us what makes your practice so unique. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I have a a fairly unique practice. I think most pediatricians or the idea of a pediatrician is is someone who works in an office building or a medical center. But um, for myself, I actually work in a 40-foot medical van. So it's uh, what we call a mobile medical unit. And essentially what it looks like is, you know, your 40-foot RV, but it's been retrofitted to serve as a a vehicle to provide medical care. And so inside we have two exam rooms, Uh, we have a pharmacy, we have a laboratory, and essentially what we're doing is we're bringing healthcare to uh, disadvantaged populations, so low-income neighborhoods or homeless shelters. And those populations typically have difficulty reaching medical care. So uh, sort of the solution from Phoenix Children's Hospital was to physically bring the medicine to them. So along with me will be a nurse and as well as a, a patient access rep uh, will help people get on uh, get on uh, insurance and get them plugged into our healthcare system. And then we can basically do everything that your normal pediatrician would do from giving vaccines to giving medications, uh, ordering labs, doing specialized tests. It's kind of a one-stop shop. Bless your heart. What a great type of practice to have because you're really out there making a difference. And which segues really well into this topic because I know that Teens everywhere are wondering or practicing or not sure about sex and dating. And we hear more about dating violence and all of these things go together to make it pretty scary for parents. So do you feel that our kids today and the kids that you see are more worldly and informed about sexual health and safe practices, STIs, that sort of thing, or not really quite as much as we might imagine. No, I mean, uh, the the average teen, I think, uh, when you compare them to someone maybe from the 80s or 90s, I think they're exposed to a lot more um, sexual content. I mean, anyone who has Netflix can can scroll through the menu and you can see there's some very suggestive uh, titles and content that that's uh, present there. So I think they do have uh, more exposure to sexualized content um, than ever before. And then also, I think on a positive note, I think school systems, and pediatricians and other organizations are doing a really good job of education, uh, providing information to allow adolescents to make healthy choices because, you know, we were all adolescents once and we know that, you know, it was, (laughs) at least for me, it was a very awkward experience in in life is you have like, you know, one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood. And so you need, you need help navigating that. And I think with, you know, parents talking to their, their children's about dating and romantic relationships, schools doing the same thing, 
um, and then other organizations just getting the information out there, I think our teens are in a lot better place to make healthy decisions for themselves. I agree with you. And I know my kids, I have an 18 year old and an almost 21 year old. And some of those conversations needed to happen. And some of them really just didn't. But that's not everybody. So when they're little, and they start becoming curious about their bodies. A lot of parents make funny nicknames or when they're doing potty training, all of these kind of things. What do you think about that? What do you tell young children about their body? How much do you reveal? And what if they say, where does a baby come from? What, what do you tell them about all of those things? Well, that, you know, that's a good question. And, and it actually happens a lot sooner than most people would think, you know, if you have a three or four year old, they might be curious why their body looks different than somebody else's. And I always tell parents, you know, really just use these as t teachable moments where you can sort of begin to use, you know, correct anatomical names um, for their body parts. Um, and you can start that as early as three or four so they know exactly what those body parts are. Um, I typically refrain from using any sort of nicknames because that can get confusing. You know, certain families will have certain things for names. And um, if you sort of stick to the anatomical parts, uh, their correct names, it can el eliminate some of that confusion. And then I also tell parents that, you know, this is a really good time to talk about good touch and bad touch. So, you know, your, your, your child will know these are my private parts and these are the areas that no one should touch. And if someone should, you know, maybe a teacher, a stranger or a family member that you need to tell me about that. And so if you sort of instill that into young children um, about their body and using correct uh, nomenclature, um, I think it sets them up for a lot of success uh, later on. In addition, you know, when that child grows up and is older, uh, you want to continue those conversations. And as you, um, you know, for example, if someone uh, becomes pregnant and they have questions about, you know, you know, why is that person pregnant and how did that baby get there? When they're younger, you can sort of just stick to like the biological terms and saying, well, you know, babies are born when mommy has an egg and that egg gets fertilized and then the baby is in the belly. But when they get older, um, you can use more uh, you know, social aspects of it. Well, it's when a man and a woman get together and they have a baby. Um, and that, that's the result of sperm and an egg joining together. And so you sort of tailor that conversation uh, as, you, as the child gets older. And it's, and it's normal and it's expected that children are going to be curious about these things. And um, they're going to look for their parents to, to, to describe it and give accurate information. And so I, I always encourage parents to keep that sort of topic of conversation open uh, so that a child, even from the ages of three to four, knows that they can come to their parents to ask questions about that sort of stuff. I agree. And I think it's important to, I mean, the main message of all of this is to get those conversations going and, you know, keep them going so that we know what's going on with our children. And so now let's just sort of kind of start with girls here. What about menstruation? And the, the fact that once you get your period, now you can become pregnant, which also much of this, Dr. Kirkulis, leads to the conversation about Gardasil, HPV, sexual safety, all of these things kind of tie together. So when do we start that conversation about that you can expect your period at 12 or 13 or whenever it is, what that is? When do these conversations really get down to the heart of these things? 
Well, we're, you know, we're, we're sort of witnessing sort of an earlier age of onset when, when young girls are getting their period. You know, previously it was around 11 or 12, but now it's not uncommon to see someone, you know, 8, 9, or 10 getting their period. So uh, I think in that situation, it's really wise for parents to begin that conversation much earlier because you don't want it to come as a surprise. So, you know, maybe a conversation at 8 or 9 uh, would be appropriate. And, you know, you can keep it more biological and say, you know, this is a part of, of human development for a female. You're going to get your period. It's completely normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, if it's the mom giving the talk, they can, you know, relate their own experiences of how they uh, had their first period. It's just so, you know, when it does happen, it's completely uh, normalized for them and, and expected for them. And then like you, you you just mentioned, yeah, that's a great segue into letting them know about um, when you do get your period, that means that you are now uh, able to become pregnant. And then that leads into um, talks about um, what that means for you. Is that something you want? Um, how maybe your family um, would like you to wait before you start sex? Um, and if you do uh, decide to have sex, then you, what you need to do to prevent pregnancy, it's, it's a great segue to a lot of different uh conversations that are very important for for young girls to hear. I think so too. And I mean, I kind of enjoyed all those conversations. Not everybody is very comfortable. But of course, I mean, I, I clearly can talk about anything. And for a long time, and, and yeah, maybe it made my kids more uncomfortable than me because I'm bringing it up and trying to find out what they know. But not all parents are comfortable with these conversations, doctor. What do you tell parents about starting that conversation? Maybe they're a parent who didn't get that conversation themselves. Maybe we want to talk about sexually transmitted infections and all of these things. How do you start the conversation if you're someone who's really not that comfortable with it? Well, I would say, you know, first, realize the importance of, of having those conversations. Um, you need to to talk about relationships, romantic relationships, because, uh, and, I, and I hate to use a fear-based reason to get parents motivated about talking, but if, if you don't talk to your, your child about dating and romantic relationships and, and, and sexual activity, someone else will. And we, we know that typically uh, our youth get, get their information from three sources. So it's their friends. Um, and, you know, if, if they're talking to their friends about, you know, dating relationships, you're not always sure that that information that they're getting could be accurate. Um, they also get it from whoever they're dating. And you may not, that, that person that they're dating may not have their best interests in mind. And then third, as we talked about before, media. And so our, our teens are seeing a lot of sexual content and it's not it's not age appropriate for, for youth. And also sadly, um, pornography has become an increasing source of sexual education for our youth. And again, they're uh, not age appropriate, uh, not giving real appropriate messages about what a sex, healthy sexual relationship is. So for those, those, those three sources, some parents might say, well, well, you know, I'm, I, you know, they're going to get those, those classes in, in grade school and high school, so I don't necessarily have to do that. But you can't be sure that everything that's going to be talked about in the school is what you necessarily want your child to know. And honestly, a lot of those conver a lot of those discussions, while important, kind of turn into giggle fests for for the grade schoolers because it's just sort of an embarrassing topic, and kind of the same for high schoolers. They're just you know, it's a, a very sensitive, taboo topic, and they're not really in the right frame of mind to sort of exp receive that knowledge. So I definitely recommend parents place a large importance if they haven't uh, started talking about that. But as far as practical advice, um, you know, it's going to be awkward. You know, it's not like you're talking about sports, so you kind of just have to embrace it. 
and don't wait for their till they're older expecting it'll be less awkward you know um but yeah just jump right into it i think that a good location to do this would be in a car ride and the reason for that is you know you're you're driving and your child's with you you're not facing each other there's no eye contact it actually is a good thing because then the child will feel less like they're being interrogated and then what you can do is sort of start the conversation off with someone else besides them so you know you can say something to the effect of is anyone dating in your class and what does that mean that they're dating and do those two people do they you know show signs of affection are they holding hands are they kissing that way they don't feel like they're being interrogated the subject matter is sensitive but it's about someone else and then slowly you can bring that subject matter back into them asking are they dating somebody and do they want to date somebody is that something that they're interested in what do they think about becoming pregnant you know um, those kind of kind of conversations are, are really good and as far as content about what you're going to talk about i mean talk about everything i mean you want to talk about what it means to be in a romantic relationship and dating what it means to be in a sexual relationship you always want to uh, emphasize and um uh, promote abstinence or the decision not to have sex because that really is the most important way to, to prevent unwanted pregnancies and STIs and things like that. And we know as parents that the high school years or the grade school years are very critical. The decisions that they make at this time will have lasting impact. So uh, you really want to make sure that they're doing everything best for themselves, which is focusing on their education and their goals and not necessarily about being in a dating relationship or a sexual relationship. And then while you do emphasize uh, abstinence, you want to say something to the effect of, while I do recommend you not having sex, if you do, then you need me to make sure you're having safe sex. So using condoms and birth control. The reason, and I, and I sort of separate the two condoms for safe sex as in preventing diseases and then hormonal birth control to prevent unwanted pregnancies because you know young people being young people they're you know if they rely on a condom as birth control you know the male may not have it or want to use it or sort of give those lame excuses why they don't want to have a condom or use a condom so it's in the best interest of having a female on hormonal birth control so that at least the ball is in their court they know they can prevent an unwanted pregnancy. And so with that, you sort of have that complete comprehensive talk, again, while always maintaining, you're, you're suggesting that they continue uh, abstinence. And, and, and sort of another point too is sometimes parents, when they promote abstinence, they kind of come off as a disciplinarian where they're, you know, they're kind of giving this blanket, no, don't have sex, but you kind of want to back it up with some practical reasons. For example, you know, if they want to be a graphic artist or they want to be a doctor or a lawyer, what would that mean if you got pregnant? Or what would that mean if you suddenly stopped focusing on your goals and instead started focusing on a dating relationship? And that sort of sort of rings true with an adolescent. They'll see the practical reasons and they'll see you less as a disciplinarian. And then finally, just to end the end the conversation with you know leaving it open ended, saying you know uh, if you ever have any questions in the future, you can know that you can come to me. I'm not going to overreact. You're not going to get in trouble for whatever you bring up with me. And, and they'll appreciate that. You went through the trouble of breaking the ice. You made it okay to talk about dating and relationships so that, you know, six months down the line or a year down the line, if they find themselves in a difficult situation or um, a, a, a scenario, they know they can come to you because they, they're, they're not afraid. You've opened it up and you were accepting and you didn't overreact or, or come across as a disciplinarian. That's really great advice. And this next question could be a topic in itself. And we don't have a lot of time, but... It's something that I have dealt with with my kids and 
and and you were right on with that advice, doctor. Really, as you keep those conversations going, and you're not looking like you're judging, and you're not looking like you're being a disciplinarian. You are explaining. You're showing them what the future could look like. You're showing them the possibilities that are out there and the repercussions to all of these things. Toxic relationships, which again I say could be its own topic today, but dating toxic relationships. How do we know? And where does that fit into this safe sex? And yes, and no, this whole picture that we're discussing today, where does this fit in? Yeah, and that's that's a really important topic because um, most of uh, the stats that we show is actually surprising that you know up to seven percent of females will report that the, their first sexual uh, encounter was forced on them. Uh, we also have a similar statistics that show around seven percent of of people who are in dating relationships have experienced some sort of physical violence. So it's a it's a very worthy topic uh, that uh, teens need to know about. And from a parent's perspective, um, you think clues that might let you in on besides Besides the obvious of like bruises and things like that, some some social clues. Typically, uh, perpetrators of physical violence uh, will want to isolate their victims. So, whereas if your teenager would normally had a large group of friends, uh, suddenly they're not hanging out with those friends anymore, or they're very secretive about where they're going and what time they'll be back, and they're very secretive about their social media. Uh, they don't want you to see where they're going. They don't want you to look at their smartphone. Those might be clues um, that uh, something bad might be going on. And then the other sort of more generalized clues would be decreasing um, academic performance. Uh, no longer interested in things that they were interested in before. So if you had a team that was in sports or theater or some sort of social clubs that they kind of scale that back down, um, those could be potential clues. Again, they're only clues. That's why it's so important to have a really open relationship with your child to let them know that they can come to you if something bad happens. So yeah, very, very important topic. And unfortunately, and sadly, we, we do still see a lot of that even, even in the 15 to 19 year old age range. So as we wrap up, how can pediatricians help frame these conversations for parents and for patients? As we know, doctor, when kids become teens, they start filling out a questionnaire at the pediatrician. In some cases, parents don't go into the appointment anymore. We're sitting out in the waiting room. And these are discussions that the teen and the pediatrician have. What would you like parents to know about Maybe asking their pediatrician saying, I have some of these concerns, or getting that conversation, helping them to frame this. Tell us where the pediatrician comes into this picture and offer your best advice for sexual health and discussing these things with our teens. I'm I'm really glad you asked that question because you know honestly um, after 11, 11 years of age we do see a, a drop off of of teens coming in for their their yearly well visit and it's it's, it's at these times at the you know the 15 to 19 year old age range where pediatricians are discussing these very same things they're talking about substance abuse they're talking about se- sexual activity and dating um, they're talking about vi- violence and pressuring into sexual um, scenarios and so I would tell I would uh, very much encourage parents to bring their children in for their yearly exams during like the like I said like the 11 to 19 year old age range because they're, they're we're going to talk about that stuff and, and don't be alarmed if we ask you to kind of sit in the, in the waiting room because sometimes teenagers will feel a little bit more um, 
at ease talking to a doctor about th- those sort of things. So, and, and so don't be alarmed by that. And pediatricians do have their, their patients' uh, best interests in mind uh, when we ask these questions. Um, and when that happens, if anything alarming comes up, um, if, where your child's you know in danger or something very bad will happen, uh, we will contact the parent about it. But the other sort of conversations do remain private and in confidence, um, but we always have the patient's uh, best interests in mind. And for the parent, I would say, um, you know, and sort of encourage their, their teen to, to come in and to say, hey, you know, the, the doctor is going to um, talk to you about, you know, social aspects of your life because those are the big determinants of your health. And, you know, feel free to answer honestly. Um, and if they need to do any sort of labs or things like that, that's going to happen. And this is just your time to take care of your health. And so that's kind of how I would frame it and definitely encourage parents to bring their children in um, to with their PCP, their pediatrician. Great advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Kirkulis, for joining us today and really sharing your incredible expertise. Parents, please share this show with your friends and family on your social channels. We're learning from the experts at the American Academy of Pediatrics together. And this is information you're getting firsthand. And so it helps us to frame these conversations. And you can use these podcasts with your teens to talk about these things, to get that conversation going. So please share them. And you can listen at Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are played. But we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. This is Melanie Cole for Healthy Children, the American Academy of Pediatrics and Radio MD. Stay well.